Welcome to Money Talks, a series of interviews with me, Liam Halligan, Economics and Business Editor of GB News. In this episode, I talk to Nick Allen, CEO of Control Risks, one of the UK's leading security and intelligence consultancies. Control Risks has almost 50 years' experience managing everything from kidnap and ransom situations to providing highly specialised commercial and political research, mainly for corporate clients working overseas. In this rare interview, Alan gives his unique, well-informed take on the main strategic, diplomatic and geopolitical risks facing businesses and nation-states across the world today. Nick, great to have you here uh, on The Money. Um, What is Control Risks? What is the business that you're in? So we're, we describe ourselves as a specialist risk consultancy. So we advise primarily business. We do work for some governments, but primarily business. And we help them, you know, the sort of strap line is help them become secure, compliant, resilient, sustainable. We provide information uh, to help make better business decisions. And we also advise business on crises, how to prepare for them, deal with them, and then recover. That's sort of our world, if that brings it a little bit to life. And a lot of the work that you do is in overseas places, some far-flung markets, but Control Risk has been around for a long time, right? So we've been around for coming on 47 years, and we started in the area of responding to kidnap and extortion. We still do that with a world-leading company in in advising people on that particular risk. Um, Yes, we work in far-flung places, but we also work very close to home. We do, you know, we do a lot of work in the UK and, and in the European Union. Uh, so I think one of the things that's changed for a lot of businesses is, is when I joined the firm, and that was 20 years ago, quite a lot of what we did was say for UK businesses or US, you know, Japanese big client base there. And risk was sort of out there, whether it's political risk or security risk. I think one of the things that changed is risk is here as well. And that's, that's political as, as well as, as security issues that we advise companies on. So um, without wishing to be too depressing, sort of risk is everywhere, I guess, and we're, we're helping firms deal with that. How would you assess the extent of geopolitical risk in the world at the moment? The UK is obviously a, a very outward-facing economy. We trade all over the place. Uh, the world's becoming more globalised. Or is it, after the pandemic, a, a, another issue there? But do you think the world is particularly risky at the moment? I think... I mean, there's always risk, isn't there? And we, we, we're more aware of it because of uh, the ubiquity of information that we have. I think someone said a few years back, you know, globalisation has had a heart attack. It, it's not dead. It's in, it's in the recovery room, as it were. And I think there's some... With the pandemic? With the pandemic, with geopolitics. I think was actually, that was said before the pandemic. Okay. I think what we have seen everywhere around the world, and this is something we and others have been talking about, has been the increase in... Uh, political nationalism, increase in trade barriers. If you look at just about every metric, you can see uh, increases in barriers to trade, apart from Africa, actually. Africa is sort of moving in the other direction in some ways. So it is harder, I think, getting harder for business. And, you know, and we're all aware of this, just a huge increase in regulation um, and things that businesses rely on, like free movement of data, getting harder and harder. You've got lots of new data laws coming in. And certainly, if you look at it now, when we're looking forward into 2022, for a lot of businesses and people like me and, and, and yourself, you know, we grew up in an era where the kind of rules were clear. Yeah. It, it's much less clear. I think maybe what you were referring to earlier was uh, the emergence of Donald Trump, a much spikier relationship between the two biggest economies in the world, the US and China. That spikiness has continued now. 
You've been in this business a, a, a long time, if I may say so, Nick. How would you assess sort of Sino-Western relations at the moment? Uh, poor would probably be my, my sort of uh, overarching uh, summary. What Trump articulated, actually, if, if you look at the, the one thing I think that, that drew together the US political, you know, Democrat-Republican, was actually a concern about the rise of China from, a, from an American perspective. And actually, he got a lot of sort of cross-party support um, and articulated, I think, a concern that was also being felt elsewhere. And this is, you know, you have a rising economy, a huge population, and a country that is looking to project its power and influence abroad. Um, and there have been, you know, a number of books written on this subject about sort of when empires fall and new empires emerge. And it rarely happens without friction. I think we are now in an age of confrontation, and, and that, that doesn't necessarily mean sort of military confrontation, but there is economic, tech, uh, technological, cultural, political confrontation between China, which wishes to assert itself, protects its interests as China would see it. And I think it's important to understand there's obviously a Chinese perspective on what's going on. Mm. And businesses actually find itself quite often caught in the mm. crossfire. Of course. We don't always notice what's going on, do we, when we're focused on news in our, our own country there's been a huge increase in recent weeks of Chinese military planes in Taiwanese aerospace. That could really be a flashpoint, couldn't it? Because the Chinese feel that Taiwan is part of, if not mainland China, then certainly part of the People's Republic in general. And yet Taiwan is kind of a US ally. Um, to what extent do you think we're ignoring the danger that China poses? So, I mean, talk specifically about Taiwan. That is a, uh, you know, China has always been, the People's Republic of China has all, always been very clear that Taiwan remains part of, of China. And, you know, China, Taiwanese governments flirt with declaring independence, but, you know, they, they, they fear going there. Taiwan is a US ally. I mean, in terms of, you know, people were, I think, misreading into the speed with which the US left Afghanistan, that they might sort of similarly abandon their ally Taiwan. Totally different. The US has huge political and economic interests in Taiwan. But Taiwan has huge economic interests in China. There's a lot of mm. Taiwanese investment in China. It is, you have a slowing Chinese economy. It's not growing as fast as it used to. Taiwan um, is one of those sort of hot button nationalist issues. Um, some people might say sort of um, Anglo-French fishing relations yeah. work similarly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so I think we, we don't see a military confrontation happening. There will be saber rattling. There's always the risk for miscalculation. But when I was talking to our team in China just, just last week, I was sort of discussing this. And they said, look, you know, absolutely, it's headline news. But if you're a business, international business operating in China, you're much more worried about Chinese regulators, the tightening of regulatory uh, investigations that have been going on in China, the sort of politics of internal politics of China present more of an issue for, for business to get its head around than actually the sort of headline news that is sort of, are we going to go to war over Taiwan? I, I don't think we are. We should be in no doubt, though, that you have America as the world's leading economy, the global hegemon, if you like, as it has been pretty much for our entire lives. That's now shifting under some definitions. China is the biggest economy in the world already. Um, that shift isn't going to happen without some kind of aggro, is it? I mean, these are very competitive countries run by very competitive people. I mean, how can Britain position itself? How can British business position itself as this global centre of gravity shifts as it now is? 
I think you know, the, the end of, we're not at the end of the age of the American superpower. If you look militarily and the ability to project power abroad, the US is unrivaled. If you look at the number of, I mean, just sort of aircraft carriers China has versus the United yeah. States. There was the thing this week about China increasing its nuclear warheads, still dwarfed by what the US has. So, mm. so there's, there's a bit of perspective. And in terms of you know, uh, GDP per capita, the US is, is still you know, an economic superpower and will continue to be. But what you have is a US less interested in projecting that power and influence. I think you know, bruised from multiple conflicts in the Middle East and, and Afghanistan. And for Britain, which is an interesting question, you know, brands Britain as a sort of business brand um, I think remains very strong, particularly in, in places where we're known for, you know, professional services, some of our um, industry manufacturing, creative arts. There, there's opportunity there. Uh, we are a trading nation. We always have been. Um, and, you know, notwithstanding tensions with, with the European Union at the moment, um, yeah, Britain, I think it, our position remains um, to sort of exploit the strengths that we have. We remain on the UN Security Council. We have a security capability that probably uh, is stronger than, um, well, it's always been strong and we still have that. So I guess in that mix, Britain has, has opportunity, but we can't be complacent. Let's talk about cybercrime. Obviously, it's a, it's a growing threat. Ordinary householders can be, have their bank hacked, they can have their identity stolen uh, and so on. Have we seen anything yet? Could this become a much bigger trend? Nick, how worried are big business about cyber attacks? If it's not in the top one or two items on a business risk register, they should look at their risk register again. Crikey. I mean, it is a, it is a, a huge issue. And since uh, during the pandemic, there was an explosion in cybercrime, um, particularly ransomware. Um, and, and we as a firm that respond to that just saw that just a massive demand. For just us. describe to us what ransomware is. So when you accidentally, uh, your computer is affected by uh, a program that encrypts all your files and a little message pops up and says, if you're an individual, probably pay me a few hundred to a few thousand dollars to get your information back. If you're a business, and we've, we've seen some of these, you know, pay X million dollars and we will unencrypt your information. You're far too professional to even think about disclosing client confidentiality, and I hope I'm not stupid enough to ask, but what size of companies are we talking about that you've dealt with who have been hit with ransomware? Well, I'm not going to talk about who, who we've worked for, um, but some very big sort of, you know, headline cyber attacks, Colonial Pipeline in the States, probably, you know, the, the, the big one last year, SolarWinds, which was, again, another that was attributed to uh, Russian software. Um, so the, but, but for, for all businesses, the, the... And these ransoms get paid? These ransoms uh, do get paid. Um, it is, it is a, a, a crime that's very hard to solve. Um, and it's facilitated, let's be clear, by Bitcoin, you know, sort of... Uh, um, Cyber currencies that absolutely, can't be traced. That can't be traced. Or very difficult to or trace. Very, very difficult to trace. So for all business, I think, and it's not just ransomware, it's hacks, it's data theft. And the challenge with a data theft is it's very hard to know what's actually happened. It can take quite a long time to really get a sense of has the data really been taken, what's been taken. Um, and under you know, regulations, you have to report uh, relatively quickly before you may know what's happened. So this is really a challenging risk for business. And it's going to get worse. We see um, cybercrime following geopolitical tension. You know, we've already talked about geopolitical tension. We see the leaking of 
state-level capability to criminal groups. So you now have criminal groups with really very sophisticated uh, software capabilities to prosecute this kind of crime and the resources of business to stand up to that. You know, the really big businesses, you know, the banks are heavily regulated. They spend hundreds of millions of dollars, pounds, euros, uh, yen on this. But for medium-sized business, it, it's harder, and smaller businesses, even harder to protect against this. So this absolutely is a critical risk for business, and it's going to get worse, unfortunately. You talked about small and medium-sized businesses there, Nick. If somebody watching this has a relatively small business, they might have, you know, client bank accounts on the business, standing orders that have been set up and so on. How can they go about making just simple precautions to make their business more resilient to cyber attack? Uh, resilience is a good word, isn't it? Um, you need to have a backup um, of your information, of your client's information, and you need to know how to use your backup. And there are you know, lots of firms that help people do that. But if you haven't got a backup, you need a backup. Um, that's my sort of number. If we were asking sort of what's your business tip, I'd say number one, have a backup of your information. And you need to also thought through how long can you trade and operate if you can't access that information. And you are seeing, unfortunately, you know, small, medium-sized businesses being hit and really not knowing, you know, kind of what to do. Um, but there are you know, companies that will support. There are lots of companies that the and the UK, for talking about the UK, has a has a very strong capability in the area of you know cybersecurity and preventing this. You know, we have in GCHQ, I guess, a world-leading organization, um, and people have come out of that and set up businesses. And actually, in terms of, you know, you asked me where, where, where can Britain sort of succeed, I think our cyber uh, security capabilities is an area where we have real strength. And I think you'll, you already see that, and you're going to see more of that, British firms trading around the world. COP26 has obviously been big news this month. Do you think the UK does need to worry about its energy security? We haven't got much gas storage these days. President Macron's threatening to turn off the interconnectors. We're pretty reliant, aren't we, on that gas pipeline from Norway. What's the sort of big picture view of, of risk specialists like you when people ask about energy security in the UK? Well, I, I saw um, in one of your previous interviews, Liam, you asked a Norwegian gentleman about, about how Norway viewed our lack of gas storage facilities, <laughs> and he was very diplomatic. Um, you know, it, it's quite clear in terms of how sort of pipelines have been built that, you know, Russia is well aware of how much gas it supplies to Europe. And that does About provide... 40% of Western Europe's gas. Exactly. Still. And and we know that and they know that. Um, and there's positives and negatives to that. It creates an interdependence. Um, but at the same time, it does, you know, energy supply has always given countries leverage throughout you know time. So... Um, why we have uh, not insufficient gas storage, uh, certainly compared to mainland Europe, that's a question I'm not equipped to answer. But we do need to worry about energy uh, supply. We're building renewable uh, power. We, you know, we have, I guess, oil and gas reserves of our own. But yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a critical issue, and you know, we've seen that in the in the price spikes. Um, Things that you know the British government, try as it might, can't really control. I guess without spending billions in subsidies. So it's a real issue, and you're going to see that um, uh, around the world. These these energy has always been a, a source of tension. We've just some people, I, I, many people may not have noticed, but um, Algeria is, has just refused to supply gas through the Moroccan pipeline to Spain uh, just just this week. Um, and that is, is creating sort of tensions between Spain, Morocco, Algeria. Algeria and Morocco have sort of poor relations. But that's a, a sort of small example of, I think, an issue that is, is kind of out there and is going to define yeah, the, next sort of, the next while. 
But even if we move to renewables, and obviously we are shifting to renewables, there have been weeks recently where 50% of British use electricity has been from renewables. This isn't a joke. But let's say we live in a, in a world of, of wind and, and solar and electric cars. That doesn't make us geostrategically safe, does it? Those batteries in those electric cars, they use rare earths. China's got lots of those rare earths. The Central African Republic's got lots of those rare earths. These minerals, these elements that we need, we've got hardly any. Yeah, I think there might be some in Cornwall, but um, I think I think I'm right in saying that. Reprise pole dark, and we'll <laughs> no, go down the mines in Cornwall. I, I think there is a plan to, to, to sort of reopen some of the tin mines because of rare earths, and that is about energy security. I mean, you're right. You see, um, China does have 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 significant access to rare earths, and they understand the importance of, of that. And you see Chinese mining companies, uh, particularly in Africa. You've mentioned Central African Republic, you know, Democratic Republic of Congo. Um, another place where these these earths are being mined. These are all areas of future um, tension and competition, I guess. And Western countries, I guess, have largely relied on the private sector to go and exploit these resources. Um, emerging economies, particularly the big ones, China, India, have, have done it more, I guess, using state-owned enterprises or parastatal organizations. And I think you're going to see, you are going to see, you are starting to see the push from Western com uh, countries to, to get companies to exploit these resources. Um, and that's tricky because these are often, not always, but often in countries that are difficult to operate in. And a lot of Western companies face quite a lot of scrutiny in terms of how they operate on the ground. And that is a challenge um, for, for the private sector in terms of how it, how it does that. A lot of people who read the business press maybe have a little bit of money that they need to, to manage. They may dabble in stocks and shares. They'll have seen these initials ESG. Tell us what ESG means and why it's important. So it's environmental, social and governance. I mean, that's the E, the S and the G. And there is, driven really by investors, um, particularly institutional best investors, pressure on companies to um, up their game, I guess, in terms of how they approach the environment. And you know, COP26 is, is very much in the news now, but that has been something because of the climate crisis that companies are absolutely have to be part of the, the solution. Then social issues, you know, how do companies operate on the ground? And that's not just in, to use your phrase, far-flung places, but also here in the UK. How do, we, how do companies engage with, with social issues and then governance in terms of and that's we're talking about, you know, corruption issues, integrity, how, how well-governed companies are. And all firms are having to engage with this, I think, in a much more structured way because regulators are looking at it and there's a lot of discussion going on at the moment between government and business as to how much needs to be regulated and how much does business do for itself. Um, and companies are focused on this issue and, and engaged with it. Uh, but it, it, there are challenges. You, if you operate, a lot of British businesses, you know, talking about international firms operating in countries where the rule of law doesn't apply, um, where regulation is, is arbitrary or, or sometimes worse than that, it's politicised. And those are real challenges for, for business to engage with this whole issue. ESG, it's, if I may use the phrase, fashionable now in the Western world. Uh, regulators are getting involved. Is there a danger, Nick, we can undermine our international competitiveness here? You've got you know, hard-driving emerging markets now who are bestriding the world, China, India, Russia. These are big economies. These are big competitive Places they're not bothered about ESG. 
Um, it sort of depends on the, you know, the, the, the big, the big uh, sort of global firms that come out of emerging markets. Absolutely, they, they are engaged with these issues and they operate to international standards. You know, I don't think anyone would say, you know, British business or US business um, shouldn't, you know, operate, um, you know, ethically and, and, and appropriately. I think the challenge is that um, understanding how to manage those risks is difficult. It can be expensive. And depending on how those are regulated, some firms are already thinking, actually, we won't go here because it's just too difficult. And I guess the concern is if good businesses don't go to difficult places, less good businesses will, the business will happen. And that probably has a detrimental effect uh, in those countries where, where they're operating. Um, yeah, so that's, I guess, how, how, how I see it. We couldn't conduct an interview like this, Nick, without mentioning terrorism, of course, a, a major subject on the minds of many businesses that you will uh, help uh, in your work as a, as a consultant. Where do you think the main terrorist threats are coming from at the moment? And to what lengths do businesses go, both British businesses operating here and internationally, to meet those terrorist threats? So, I mean, terrorist, terrorist threat comes uh, from ungoverned spaces. Um, you know, the concern around what's happened in Afghanistan is that um, ungoverned spaces will, will appear and you're already seeing... Um, terrorist groups, um, you know, ISIS-K and others with much more leeway to operate. And they are a threat to the Taliban rule in, in Afghanistan and, unfortunately, Afghanistan, Afghani citizens. Um, so ungoverned spaces, if we're talking particularly around the Islamist threat, so what's going on in the Sahel in, in northern Africa, um, that's why you have French... That's a bit just below the, between the Sahara and the southern coast. Of, exactly. Of, so it's of, countries of, like, like yeah, Mali yeah. Um, where you have French and, and British troops sort of trying to sort of deal with, with that threat in, in that area at the moment for that very reason. So that's where, I guess, the threat incubates from that side. But also, we have seen the threat from extremist groups um, much more domestic, both far right and far left. And actually, there is, I think sometimes that's overlooked. And if you look in a number of countries, the threat from those extremist groups is as severe as, if not stronger than the sort of Islamist threat that I think a lot of certainly the media focuses on. But this is a real issue for lots of businesses. They have to take precautions, right? Yes, it's, it, it's, a, real, it's a real issue for, for all of us. As, uh, um, and, and business has a duty to, to protect. And business needs to understand the threat. And it always depends on you know, where you are and what you're doing. Um, and so that is, you, know, you see businesses putting in place security measures, um, sort of crisis management, you know, planning around what, what you do if something happens. Um, but certainly, if, we, if we're talking in, in, in this country, we really are largely depending on the capability of our security services um, to protect us. It, it's, it's what they do, and, the, and they do it well. Um, unfortunately, it's as, as the cliche is, you know, a, and a terrorist only needs to be lucky once. Um, uh, and so, so, but it is a risk business is concerned about. But it is a typically a low frequency, high impact event. So business needs to be concerned about it to manage it. But there are lots of other risks out there that are, are much more uh, sort of relevant on a daily basis. Final question, Nick. Control Risks is famously an international company. Many of your people are, if you like, worldly wise. They have lots of overseas experience and often operate overseas. So let me put this to you. This idea of global Britain, is that real? Is that credible? 
<laughs> behind any sort of slogan, there's an element of truth, isn't, isn't there? I think, uh, you know, Britain for uh, has always been a, a trading nation. Um, Britain is a wonderfully diverse country, and that is a huge source of strength. British business has always gone out there and done business um, across the world and will continue to do so. Um, I think it, it is part of our, our business culture. Um, all international businesses are finding the environment difficult and complicated. But um, sort of as we emerge from the pandemic, there is, a, I mean, from our clients, a, there is a sense of optimism. It's a strange time. There's, there's, there's optimism <laughs> couched with caution because, you know, there, there's still a lot of uncertainty out there. But, you know, the flip side of risk is opportunity. Um, if I can sort of finish on, on another cliche, Liam, but that's, <laughs> that is very true. And, and it's how you manage those risks to deliver the opportunity. You know, that's what we're about. And we work for some fantastic companies, that, that, and that's what they're all about too. That was a really interesting interview. Nick Allen, thanks a lot. Thanks, Liam. Thanks a lot for listening to Money Talks with me, Liam Halligan, Economics and Business Editor of GB News. If you've enjoyed this episode, then please leave a rating or review on Apple Podcasts, YouTube, or wherever you're listening. Do subscribe to this podcast and also check out my daily television show, On The Money at 1pm Monday to Friday on GB News or via the GB News app. GB News, Britain's news channel.